Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT. Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while also explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Brian Wazalowski, and it's time to talk tech. This week we have a guest host, CDT's very own Greg Nogine. Greg sits down with Dr. Thorsten Vessling from the German think tank SNV. Greg and Thorsten have a fascinating conversation about government surveillance practices in the U.S. and in countries across Europe. Are any countries leaders in protecting the civil liberties of citizens when it comes to intelligence practices and data collection? And does strong oversight always lead to better privacy protections? Take it away, Greg. Hi, welcome to Tech Talk. Uh, my name is Greg Nojaim, and I'm the director of CDT's project on freedom, security, and technology. And I'm happy to say that we're joined today by Thorsten Wurzling of uh, SNV, a Berlin-based think tank that focuses on the intersection of technological change and public policy. Thorsten, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Greg, for having me. I'm so glad you could come. Tell us a little bit about SNV. What do you do there? And um, um, tell us about the foundation. Sure. Um, you put it nicely, actually, uh, the way you put it. It's the intersection, the nexus between public policy and technological change. You know, in Germany, like in Washington, we have a number of think tanks that look into uh, advising uh, parliament and executive on different range of topics. But up until recently, there wasn't a dedicated think tank that looked into digital policy making. And so we have, uh, we're very small, we have not more than 15 people who really focus on, on content work. And among those people, I'm one of them uh, looking into surveillance governance. There's another one who looks at artificial intelligence and its impact on foreign policy. There's someone who looks at the Internet of Things and cybersecurity. So you get a flavor of, of the topics that we're looking into. Do you focus mostly on Germany, on Europe, or are you looking worldwide? It has been mostly German focus. Um, that is because um, most of our work uh, is really directly tied to, um, for instance, a new law that comes out of the parliament or our funding requires that we have a, a specific Germany focus. But as of late, there have been new developments. So it has become um, a bit more um, frequent for us to take a European perspective, at least in my work I do that quite often, and I also know about it very, um, from the start we had one project that had um, a transatlantic focus, so that's the Transatlantic Cyber Forum um, and there we look at uh, different cyber security policies, not just from a European, but also from an American uh, and uh, German perspective. Um, Thorsten, we're speaking um, at the CDT office in Washington, D.C. on a really hot day uh, what brings you to this um, hot part of to this hot town, Washington? Greg, that's right. It's quite hot here in Washington today, but I'm glad to be here because I'm with I'm bringing with me a, a draft compendium of best practice on intelligence uh, legislation and oversight, and this is part of a project that we're doing that we 
about to get into in further detail, but I'm, of course, conducting interviews here in Washington with a range of different uh, NGOs, but also people at the house and um, also trying to reach out to business uh, representatives who have a stake at the way in which um, governments respond to the revelations of Edward Snowden and uh, the reform of surveillance that took place in different countries. And I'm trying to get a better understanding of what good practice I can put in the compendium from, from the U.S. side. So you're doing a study about intelligence oversight mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Um, and and um, so in the U.S., I know we have uh, mechanisms like the intelligence committees themselves, mm -hmm. the House and Senate intelligence committees. We have the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board. And we have the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, the FISA Court. Mm -hmm. um, you know, guys in my position, people in my position will often say uh, that they're not doing an adequate job of oversight and that we could always learn um, um, about new mechanisms and about new methodologies for oversight. Mm -hmm. um, is the goal of your paper to kind of compare different uh, mechanisms and, and figure out which ones are working and, and should be emulated? Mm -hmm. If you allow me to say that, I will tie this uh, response to a project we're doing. It's called the European Intelligence Oversight Network, because there it's really about uh, capacity building, learning from different countries. You know, there cannot be a blueprint for best oversight because of cultural differences of different laws uh, you know you cannot uh, compare necessarily one-on-one -on -one the situation in the US with other European countries but every country is conducting uh, a range of intelligence functions that are putting uh, their uh, that bring about challenges for the oversight bodies and when they have when they're confronted with those challenges it might actually be interesting to um, to discuss how to meet this challenge and what other countries have been uh, labor la um, experimenting with. And I think uh, this is the, the focus of my study. So we will focus on one particular aspect of intelligence uh, collection. It would be the foreign intelligence collection, non-targeted uh, communications data. And this is a practice that every country, no matter how small, or big, uh, those uh, that we have selected from in Europe and also in North America are uh, performing. And there are different oversight bodies in most countries that have been recent uh, changes to intelligence legislation. And now my focus is to see what good practice can I identify in the legal provisions of some countries when it comes to um, the mandate for performing this intelligence functions and then on the design of the oversight institutions and their particular oversight instruments and there too it was actually quite revealing to see um, the broad different approaches that some countries have taken and I think um, you know it's easy to go and say intelligence is something that we should not conduct as it's a gentleman's agreement we don't read each other's mail but then again there are severe security challenges and, and our approach at least is not to say we don't want intelligence services abandoned or anything like it but we can say we can work with different civil society actors and oversight bodies and in dialogue with with people open enough to get into contact with us from the intelligence services and say look there is a way to improve your practice and one 
key would be by studying what other countries have been doing and bring that to the attention of those who have to make decision making. It's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, let me back up a little bit. You said that the report focuses on <clears throat> bulk collection, non-targeted collection. Mm -hmm. Did I also hear you say that the Americans aren't the only ones who are doing that? Mm -hmm. um, what other countries engage in bulk collection? So um, there we have, of course, a, a question of definitions. Um, in Germany, for instance, there is a different collection of uh, communications data. There is the targeted collection, um, individual measures about a, as a person or a, um, a group that you have identified as being a threat. So that's one. Then you can have, they would still fall under the targeted definition, um, having identified different threats uh, and you would collect communications data that would come in uh, to Germany or out of Germany and um, so for this they call international but that still has one leg in in our country mm -hmm. um, there too they can collect this uh, data only with uh, selectors and, and so they have to go th sift through the, the collected communications by means of selectors and these selectors have to be authorized and then you have foreign intelligence collection like the and this is the bulk of, of what uh, the German intelligence services does, is the communications data collection that has neither its origin or its destination in Germany, that, but, but that may be transiting through Germany. And for that, um, there too, there have been now changes and there have been, uh, there's a new oversight body that has been created for, for, and they give some higher data protection to European Union citizens for that non targeted but the German would say depending on whom in government um, people would tell you well that still is targeted and mm. of course we get into a lot of discussions uh, is there such a thing as a non-targeted bulk collection and I'd say yes there is um, and um, and for that you also need uh, standards and some countries have uh, have put that into a different perspective than in the US so so in Germany yeah. for bulk collection, um, there's a highest level standard protection for Germans, mm -hmm. then an intermediate level of protection for EU citizens, and then a lower level of protection for Americans and other people who are not EU citizens mm -hmm. and not Germans. Yeah. Right. Well, they, have some, there's, they even make a fourth category that is European Union member states and European, or member states of the European Union and um, official bodies of the European Union, it's like the European Parliament. And for this, there's even a higher category than for European Union citizens. So if you want, there are like four categories. We've, we've had a big debate in uh, among civil society about <clears throat> discriminating between one's nationals and the nationals of other countries when it comes to intelligence surveillance. Um, the United States does have that discrimination built into its system, particularly when the surveillance is directed outside the United States. Mm -hmm. for, for surveillance inside the United States, it's relatively equal between um, citizens and non-citizens, uh, between citizens, residents, and non-citizen, <clears throat> non non-residents. Um, what do you think about the idea of um, preferring one's nationals, providing extra protection to one's nationals as compared to other people? Mm -hmm. So, 
we can make this very practical. Some European countries, like the Netherlands, they don't do this. They don't distinguish between uh, international and domestic communications in their collection of communications data. Um, Germany does this, similar to the US. And the first thing that comes to my mind is that we are a foreigner pretty much everywhere else in, than in our country. So if we travel, we are a foreigner. And it is somewhat... Um, worrisome that you know that your protections go away when you travel to a foreign land and and I and I think that the safeguards that are in place are not nearly sufficient and um, and if the and there's a lot to be said and questioned about the um, technological ability to make um, such a clear distinction between national and non-national communications data. So if you were saying that, of course, you have excellent filters, filter mechanisms in place that can put the, you know, and as we say in Germany, we have four different buckets that you would have to put the collected data in. So the rest of the world, the EU citizens, the EU member states, and then your German or residents in Germany. And it's quite a technological challenge for the intelligence community to really satisfy those different data protection regimes in their um, collection and in their filtering. And even if we are very, we apply a very conservative assessment and say those filters would work with an accuracy level of, let's say, 99%, that still leaves. Uh, in the millions of communications data that would be collected, falsely identified, and that would be uh, not uh, in standards with what their own laws would say. So then the category um, an EU Union data might fall under the rest of the world, or a German citizen uh, might find its communications data in the same bucket as it would be for the rest of the world. and. That is a challenge, and it it's a challenge for the oversight bodies because they have more reporting uh, mm -hmm. mechanisms, and um, my focus would be make it as targeted as possible so as to um, so as not to um, overburden the the oversight bodies and and others uh, in them upholding this this different categories of data protection. so I, I find this uh, to be not the best practice. Mm -hmm. So you're so you're kind of in the middle of this study now. Um, you've you've um, looked at different countries' oversight mechanisms. What are you finding? What stands out to you? Yeah. Did any particular country do something interesting that mm -hmm. you'd want to hold up? Uh, yeah. As, I, as something that others should emulate. Yeah, I think um, now that I'm in the U.S., I thought it might be interesting for you to to discuss a few things that. Uh, I see as good practice coming out of Europe, and that might be uh, of interest to an American audience to see where where I stand on on, on some of those things. And uh, I think, um, for instance, I can point to something in the Netherlands. Um, bear in mind that we focus the study on one particular intelligence function, the, the collection of communications data. There might be other great uh, innovations coming out for other uh, review of um, 
you know, intelligence functions such as commuter network exploitations or, um, you know, um, more human uh, issues that come up. For, but for the communications data collection, for instance, I see that the Netherlands have now um, an adequacy review, review process for their foreign intelligence partners. That would mean that for in future, the the Dutch Foreign Intelligence Services needs to draft a weighting note with five different criteria that it would assess the quality uh, of their of their foreign uh, intelligence cooperation partner. And if uh, this is subject to the review of the oversight body, and this I think would be quite uh, a good mechanisms for. Um, for for actually for the executive as well to to really say why are we cooperating with them what's the risk of of conducting business with with such a intelligence partner from country X so for example um, the Dutch would be deciding whether to share information with the NSA based <coughs> on four or five um, waiting yeah. criteria mm -hmm. that would determine whether the NSA meets what is essentially an adequacy standard. Is mm -hmm. that, is that yes. a fair mm -hmm. assessment? Yes. They would say the democratic embedding of the intelligence security services, the respect for human rights in the country uh, concerned, the professionality and the reliability of the service concerned, the legal powers and possibilities of the service, and the level of data protection maintained by the service concern. These are the five criteria which are new in the Dutch uh, intelligence legislation that I found quite interesting because um, it there is an oversight component to it because this uh, will be reported to the oversight body and the oversight report body is then in a better position to um, to assess the the and review the oversight corporation. So um do, will we know whether the uh, NSA um, meets the adequacy uh, test that the Netherlands has imposed, or what other countries have met it, or will meet it, or is that all going to be uh, in a black box? That I'm not so sure. Um, I, you know, for me, it's already a good enough practice that I know that there's a country out there that that puts certain criteria and 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 demands from the executive to draft notes on the. Uh, and assess their cooperation partners on those five uh, abilities, but there are more. And you stop me when 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 you when you want to dive in deeper in one point. But let me just go through five issues, and then you, maybe you can say uh, that's a point we want to discuss in further detail. Um, so, for instance, I already mentioned that the, the Dutch don't discriminate between uh, the citizenship uh, when it comes to the collection of communications data. Um, the Germans, uh, to their credit, although there there's problems with um, the technological uh, ability to filter the data, the data, they also give greater protection to non-national nationals in their foreign communications data. Um, as so, that's one thing. Um, then there is a growing list of things that may not be advanced by means of bulk data collection. For instance, in Germany, there there is a provision that you cannot use this for to gain economic advantages. That is something you might have in the Presidential Policy Directive 28. But then again, in Germany, it's a law. And in the US, it's an executive decree. And you know, with different presidents, you may want to harden a 
an executive decree into uh, actual law. Um, Canada is an interesting one as well because um, they have in their law that the there's a specific requ requirement to make an intelligence case in a bulk SIGINT application. So it requires the service to independently demonstrate conditions under which unselected collection would be necessary. Um, that is to demonstrate why normal collection methods are insufficient. Let's dig in on that one. Um, so the Canadians have a rule that says um, you've got to go targeted unless targeted won't work, in which case you can have a bulk collection. Who's making that decision about whether a targeted collection would work or not? Because to me, you know, that, that's a decision that an intelligence agency would have to make kind of routinely. In PPD 28, the Presidential Policy Directive number 28, mm -hmm. in the U.S., for example, says that intelligence surveillance has to be as tailored as possible. Mm -hmm and that um, human intelligence should be preferred over signals intelligence when it has, when the signals intelligence is gonna have a more detrimental impact on um, civil liberties and privacy. So, so in Canada, who's making that decision? I think it's also within the executive, so it's within the, within the intelligence service, but it is an oversight component, and they just um, passed four days ago the C-59 bill in Canada, and they will, you know, we don't know when the when the Senate in in Canada will will or not adopt this this bill. But people say maybe by February or March we have a new Canadian intelligence law with C fifty nine, and there will be a new oversight body and CIRA it's called, and it has a very broad um, oversight review over not just a particular intelligence community uh, service, but also. A wide range of uh, security agencies and I think their uh, oversight remit is also to study the way these uh, to the way in which an intelligence case has been independently demonstrated by well I don't know when you say independently demonstrated it's still within the executive but then the oversight body has a role to to assess whether or not they agree uh, to the demonstration that was put forward by the executive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's, again, something different than an executive decree. Yeah, it's interesting, because in, in the United States, when it comes to surveillance of people outside the United States for intelligence reasons, um, and, the, and the surveillance is conducted wholly outside the United States, uh, there really isn't much involvement of an oversight body in that activity. It's more uh, the province of the executive branch. Um, um, Torsten, we only have a couple minutes I left. One kicker one I would uh, like to, to put into your to attention. So that's oversight interfaces. That's something that in the U.S. I don't think uh, has been established yet. So it's the direct access, sometimes at interception point, for the oversight bodies. So they have uh, the ability to uh, follow the intelligence collection. And if they want to do random checks on whether or not... Um, the intelligence collection is uh, the way it's intended in the in the law or not. They have now a much better access. The question is, of course, and this is for the future, whether or not um, the oversight interface that now exists in France, Netherlands, United Kingdom, Norway, and Sweden 
can be used effectively. So having access directly to the IT systems and the uh, at interception point also to the in France uh, they have the GIC it's called where they have a private uh, like have another intermediary where all the collected data is being stored and then the oversight body has direct access to that facility um, having this access is great the question is whether they can make good use of it and for this you need a lot of technological uh, knowledge and and have to hire the right people to make best use and then have the human technology interface that actually makes sense and that they would make better use of this interface so there's another thing uh, also when it comes to automated deletion so i think there is um there is I don't I don't have seen this the much information about this but I know that the Dutch oversight service for instance has a project called three oversight 3.0 and they've taken some money to um, meet with IT experts and to develop tools whereby um, it can automatically automatically detect if um, the service should no longer hold on to this data and then it has to be deleted and they can automate it, uh, they have an automated fashion to, to ensure that. That overcomes uh, a problem that we've faced in the US when it comes to uh, retention periods for intelligence that's collected. Um, you don't want to retain information that's irrelevant and you don't want to retain information that was unlawful to collect. Mm. But often the information that's collected is never looked at. Mm. So having a way to delete that data without having looked at it mm -hmm. and still have the data saved if it's going to be useful and was lawfully collected, mm -hmm. I think is a is an interesting uh, mm -hmm. advance. Um, right. um, Torsten, is there anything that you can see from your early um, um, findings that uh, the Americans um, need to learn from what other countries are doing? and vice versa. What do the Americans do that's particularly interesting that other countries might consider adopting? Right, so I let me start with the, the latter part of your question. So I think there are a lot of good nuggets that I've collected uh, from, from the US side that I want to bring to the attention of, of European oversight bodies. Um, and I think one of the strengths in the US is really transparency reporting. Um, there's quite uh, the public reporting on individual authorization approval decisions um, looking at the Pfizer uh, rules of procedure or the FISC rules of procedure and then also having adversarial proceedings in authorization uh, process uh, the amicus that you have uh, the rule here in the US these are things that where I find um, the US has a lot to bring uh, and uh, that we are we are studying carefully in order to make sure that the European oversight bodies can also be brought to to have more rigorous reporting and advanced transparency standards in that reporting in order for the public to get a better understanding of what what is happening and and that too is in the interest of the intelligence services because it gives provides legitimacy. Torsten. I know you have another project um, on oversight, the European Intelligence Oversight Network. Tell us a little bit about that before we close. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, so um, this is actually tied to the research that I'm doing. So um, we feel 
that there is a lot of uh, intelligence cooperation, rightly so. Um, European intelligence services and their American and Canadian counterparts are very closely connected. They have joint interfaces, databases, and the like. Whereas the oversight landscape is very fragmented still. So you would still have um, very few opportunities for the German oversight body to meet with their Danish or Norwegian or French counterparts and actually come together and, and share uh, experience that they've made. And I think sometimes it's also important to have civil society included in this uh, dialogue. And therefore, we have just started this European Intelligence Oversight Network where we had a first workshop in May where different authorization body representatives from um, from several European countries attended our first workshop and we pre presented a draft paper and now we have this radically tested with them and they get they had a chance to give us good feedback on on some of the uh, best practice that we've identified um, and we want to make this a more long-term engagement so uh, this is what we're doing at the moment sounds interesting um, um, <coughs> Thorsten, I want to thank you for joining us um, here at CDT on Tech Talk. Um, and uh, we look forward to the report when it's finished. And we hope to help you get the word out uh, about different oversight mechanisms for intelligence surveillance that work. Thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Tech Talk. And a very special thanks to Greg Nojime for guest hosting. For the very latest on CDT's advocacy efforts around government surveillance and cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or visit cdt.org. I'm Brian Wazolowski. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>